listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So here we are in the middle of the summer. It's a warm August evening. The lectionary drops on our laps a gospel reading that's really more suited to the season of Advent. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. And you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. It's the sort of words that appear in the first couple of weeks of that season, reminding us that Advent is not narrowly about getting ready for Christmas, but rather for the culmination of all of time and history in and through Christ's return. That's the stuff I'll be working with when I preach those first couple of Sundays in Advent. Not that there's anything wrong with hearing this sort of a challenge at any time over the course of the year. But let me give you a little bit of context as to where these words are situated in Luke's narrative. The material that came directly before this is all about the nature of priorities, and quite specifically, wealth and possessions. So that includes the parable of the rich fool, which we had last Sunday. And then it folds into the material in which Jesus says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Rich toward God, what an evocative phrase. But that section right before the reading picked up today also includes these lines. Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. So it's very interested. Jesus is very interested at this point in the nature of of wealth, possessions, and what's actually of worth, what's actually beautiful. So given that, there is a through line into today's reading. Do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is how you manage the things of your life and where you place your priorities are a kind of a reflection of your heart. More than a reflection, actually, because Jesus seems to be saying that how you set and manage your priorities will actually shape your heart, much as it did for the unfortunate lead character in the parable of the rich fool. So if the priority happens to be the bank balance or the successful career or your appearance, your clothing, whatever, we can make all kinds of things priorities. Well, Jesus is saying here that those things will in turn actually shape your heart. Guess what? None of those things can possibly last. They really can't deliver. 
That's what he's saying when he talks about making purses that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. Those other things that can so consume us are in the end going to look like a moth-eaten blanket. If that's all we've been living for. Then he makes the transition into these teachings about being ready, about being watchful. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. There's a a kind of a, a nighttime urgency in it. In his comments on this passage, Eric Thompson makes a very important and very helpful observation that this teaching is primarily about vocation, about the nature of being a disciple of Jesus. As Thompson notes, it isn't at all a simplistic mandate to be prepared and you will be saved. You know, like have your life well in order, have all your spiritual and moral ducks lined up in neat rows, lest Christ appears and catches you out. No, this isn't that kind of fear-inducing theology. There's no sign of the Left Behind series in here at all. Instead, Thompson comments, the idea here is to be ready so that when God calls you to action, you seize the opportunity and spread the good news, whether that's through actual words or actions, just the way you live. Being alert and ready are like potential energy, ready to be turned into kinetic energy when prompted. It's a readiness to act on our vocations as disciples that Jesus is calling for here. To be prepared to always welcome God's continuing inbreaking into our world and into our lives. Now there's no doubt that Jesus teaches that this will come in an ultimate and culminating way in the fullness of time. But in the context of everything else he teaches in the Gospels, it's quite clear that in the meantime... And we are very much in the meantime. Disciples must be ready to live our faith now. Must be always awake and alert and watchful and ready to move as gospel people. What I find really striking, though, is this image of the slaves being watchful and waiting for the master to return, is how the master is shown responding Now, the master, as Jesus tells his little parable, has been out at a wedding feast. And he's very likely to be out late. The way Jesus presents it is that the master may well be out until the middle of the night or even until close to dawn. If that banquet is particularly festive, they're not going to see him till the sun's almost coming up. And so the disciples, as they hear it, are picturing a, a rather tired master ready for a little bit of pampering from his slaves before being tucked into bed for a long, luxurious sleep. But then Jesus flips the image in the parable. He says, blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Okay, they've stayed true to their responsibilities of being watchful, keeping the house secure, and unlocking the gate when the master comes home. 
But then this, he continues, truly I tell you, he, the master, will fasten his belt and have them, the slaves, sit down to eat. And he will come and serve them. The master will come and serve them, the slaves. This is, of course, a complete reversal of the usual master-slave order of things, which is the thing the gospel does again and again and again, flips it on its head. The great good luck of those slaves, comments Robert Ferrer Capon in his inimitable style, their great good luck is that he will come home in a hilarious mood. He will not come with sober assessments of past performances or with grim orders for future exertions. Rather, the master will come with a song in his tipsy heart, a chilled bottle of Dom Perignon in each tail of his coat, and a breakfast to end all breakfasts in his hands. We, too, are blessed in the risen Jesus, for he comes to us from his nuptials in death and asks only that we wait in faith for him. He will knock at the door of our own death, and he will come in and throw us a party. Now, given the party imagery that's in this little parable and the absurdity of the master coming home and waiting on the slaves, consider the words with which Jesus opens these teachings. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, he says. Do not be afraid. It's such a key phrase in the Bible, isn't it? It appears again and again in the Torah, in the Psalms, in the prophets, and then in the Gospels, do not be afraid surfaces at these extraordinarily key moments. It's the words spoken by the angel Gabriel to Mary when she's told that she will bear a child. And then to Joseph, an angel comes and says those same words when he's thinking that maybe he should just, you know, cut his losses, cut, call off the betrothal, and get on with his life. The angel says, do not be afraid. Again and again, Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. And then when the women come, to the tomb, when they encounter him resurrected from the grave, those are again his words, do not be afraid. Don't get bound up in fear and anxiety. Don't cripple yourself in shame over what a mess you've made of things because it is actually God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The call to wakefulness and readiness in this gospel is in the end about getting ready to welcome the party that God in Christ has been planning to throw for us all along. In the meantime, in the meantime, live like you believe it. Be as abundant in your generosity in your hospitality, in your servanthood, in your willingness to forgive, and yes, in your gracious party spirit as Christ is himself. Because really, in faith and under the claim of grace, there is nothing to fear. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.